Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now Mysterious Circumstances is an American Crimecast production. Remember, everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Their beliefs were a little unorthodox. She knew things about witchcraft. Sharon and Bobby believed that uh, there were spirits in, in their house, and it frightened them. She did tell me that one time she had cast uh, demons out of someone. They didn't want to be around a lot of people. I think they just needed solitude. All I could think of is what happened to them, what happened to them. When I first heard the news that morning, um, I felt in my heart that Sherman and Bobby and Madison had been killed. I didn't want to overreact, so I just assumed they were camping, maybe they were lost. It just doesn't make any sense why they would just get up and walk up the mountain without anything. The search efforts is one of the largest Oklahoma has ever had before. We had a thousand volunteers, over 13 dog teams. We used a plane, UAVs, helicopters. The money was in a Ziploc bag inside the bank bag. And he had buried it down underneath all of these tools. And he didn't expect anybody to find it. We know that they were on prescription pills. And when we say drugs, that does not mean that it was methamphetamine, marijuana, cocaine. It could have been just prescription pills. I will say that there was problems. And that in the very beginning gave us a lot of concern. They did have some disagreements on things, but you know, all married just do. I don't think she meant all those things. They were just uh, abnormal individuals, you know, uh, we couldn't get rid of the idea that, hey, you know, maybe they just didn't want to be found. I do think that they must have seen something they shouldn't have seen because nothing else makes sense. Hey everybody, this is Justin. Welcome to Mysterious Circumstances Podcast. I hope you liked uh, that last episode a couple days ago, part one, nice little teaser episode for you. Um, I wanted to break the, these episodes up because in this one we will be talking about a lot of theories and there's going to be a lot of information thrown at you, so I wanted to go ahead and get the brief overview of the case out of the way, uh, which we will run over that again um, just really briefly before we get started. Um, but before we do get started, I would like to thank uh, Daniel Ray for giving me uh, that rating and review on iTunes. He just says, a podcast feels like I'm having a discussion with a friend. I love it. it. says, thank you for your hard work and research. Great job. Um, thank you very much, Daniel. I appreciate that. I do work uh, very hard on this podcast along with a lot of other things besides this podcast. So I do appreciate that immensely. Uh, next one is from In Your Dreams 73. It says, new favorite podcast. Gave me an awesome rating. They say uh, they love the True Crime Mystery Topic podcast and listen to many. Uh, it says, this one is by far my favorite. And in your dream, 73, I am pretty sure you don't listen to many podcasts if this is by far your favorite. <laughs> Just joking. Um, but it says uh, they like how I drink beer and curse while recording. Uh, keeps it. Uh, think it keeps the vibe real. It says I get excited when I see a new episode drop. Glad to have found this podcast. Thank you for all you do. Um, well, thank you for listening. I greatly appreciate that. Um, I appreciate all you listeners quite a bit. You are the reasons that I do this. Um, I mean, even if I had one listener, I'd still do this for sure. 
but uh, thank you very much. Uh, next one is kind of a chef, uh, and I'm assuming this guy is a Hoosier. Well, kind of a chef, I am kind of a podcaster who is thanking you very much for your review and rating. Uh, says uh, they love the rawness and wit and uh, information on the cases that are less known. Keep up the good work. Um, here lately, I will be doing a little bit more known cases, but my rule on that is if I get any more than 10 requests for a case that has already been covered by other podcasts, I will do it. Um, this case and this coming uh, episode will... The, both of those were voted for, and both of them are actually pretty known cases. And for those of you who don't know, the upcoming episode will be... Oh, not going to tell you. You're going to have to tune in to find out. But anywho, thank you very much, kind of a chef. I appreciate that. Next one is Dusty Ponderosa. That reminds me of Always Sunny in Philadelphia right there. But uh, one of the best out there. Says uh, they're an avid true crime fan. Uh, this has quickly become one of the favorites says Justin is 100% authentic, no holds barred, and completely unscripted in his storytelling. Appreciate the research. Um, goes on to says that says my only complaint is that uh, he has another job and doesn't do this full time. Keep up the great work. I look forward to each new episode. Well, if all you broke bastards out there would donate me some money, I could probably do two or three episodes a week. But no, nah, I'm just totally kidding. I uh, I would do this for free. Um, but I do appreciate the donation. Speaking of which, thank you, Jessica, um, who will, one of her cases and her will be featured on an upcoming episode. Very, very good episode, by the way. I appreciate your monthly donation. Thank you very much. And anybody else who wants to donate can go to patreon.com slash mysterious circumstances. Uh, it is a once a month reoccurring fee. I do not do it by episode because as you see, sometimes my ep episodes are sporadic. But it should be known that if you do donate, when I start releasing premium content, which will be humongously long episodes, if you are a, are a donator, you will be getting those episodes for free. I will uh, make sure of that. So thank you very much, Jessica, for that donation. I appreciate that. I suppose let's go ahead and uh, get on with the show here. As we talked about a couple days ago in part one, on October 8, 2009, you follow Oklahoma, Bobby Jameson, Sherilyn Jameson, and their young daughter, Madison Stormy Star Jameson, uh, loaded up their truck uh, while they changed clothes several times and acted like zombies. The local sheriff actually said that they had gone back and forth from and to their vehicle anywhere from 30 to 40 times. The most common number that I've heard is 20, so take that with a grain of salt. It's still too many times. From the surveillance footage at their home, you can actually see them taking stuff that they had already loaded into the vehicle back into the house and putting it back in the car, uh, or in their truck, I should say. Uh, and all this while changing clothes, not talking to each other, not even acknowledging each one was alive. Um, but they were pretty much, I mean, it took forever for them to do it. They were walking around like freaking zombies and zoned out. And in this episode, which is going to be some straight theories, uh, we will definitely get to that. So after about seven or eight days of them being missing, they are actually reported missing. Let's see, they were, their abandoned vehicle was found on... October 16th it was basically that's when the search started what they were supposedly doing was driving out to Red Oak Oklahoma uh, to buy or at least look at 40 acres of land uh, what they were planning on doing was selling their house and or renting it out I actually heard both stories and they were going to take a shipping container that they had had and uh, they had converted it into a home and they were going to move it onto that rural 40 acres and pretty much live off the grid uh, they had pulled their daughter out of school recently to make this happen they were going to start homeschooling her the truck was found going down a very small road that was about a car and a half wide um, and it was going down the mountain not up the mountain so it's pretty safe to assume that they were heading back from somewhere or leaving somewhere 
the truck was found in the middle of this dirt road. However, the tracks of the vehicle suggest that somebody else was driving by the opposite way because the tracks actually showed them swerving off to the side of the road. Whether they lost control or whether somebody was driving up the opposite way, we do not know. But that is definitely some evidence. The, when they found the vehicle, it was locked. All the doors were locked. The keys, the wallets, the cell phones, IDs, GPS system, their coats, everything that they had. Their, uh, their dog, Maisie, was still in the vehicle. Like I said, the vehicle was locked. And uh, later to be found was $32,000 in cash tucked up underneath some tools underneath the seat. As we had discussed in the previous episode, the Jamesons were not working at this time. They were both on disability. Sherilyn Jameson was on disability for severe bipolar disorder, and she was also on medication for that as well. Uh, her husband, Bobby, was on disability for very, very bad back. He had gotten in a car accident uh, a few years earlier from what I believe, if I can remember that right. I think it was 2003. Not sure, but that is unimportant. He is uh, he was hit by two cars, messed up his back really, really bad, and he was actually on disability for that because it is said that he literally could not even at some points in time stand for long periods of time let alone uh, be mobile at any kind of job they had lived in a three hundred thousand dollar lakefront house along with having timeshares in mexico and a few scattered around the u.s why they wanted to take the shipping container and live out in the middle of nowhere well, we'll talk about that a little bit in the theories, but uh, the reason is not exactly known. So the search for these, um, it should be said that, like I had said, their cell phones were still in the vehicle. Um, there was actually a picture of their daughter, Madison, that was in the cell phone taken on the day that they had disappeared. Um, that is considered evidence because this picture is creepy as shit. She is standing there with her arms crossed, and I'm not talking about her. She's actually a very cute little girl. But she has her arms crossed out in front of her. She has, like, almost a forced smile. All family and friends say that that is not her natural smile. That is not how she would usually look. She looks more like she is in distress or you know some kind of uh some kind of trauma is actually going on at that point in time like i said those are all theories but it is an odd picture it definitely is uh the search goes on for eight or nine months there is literally no real evidence there's no fingerprints in the dirt road um on the dirt road around the truck anywhere there are no signs of a struggle uh, nothing was broken all their belongings were still in the vehicle, and it is said that the Jamesons used to carry at least a thousand dollars in cash on them at all times in their wallets. That money was still in their wallets, along with that thirty-two thousand dollars in cash tucked up underneath the seat. You should definitely keep that in the back of your mind as we go forward here. It did rain. Uh, I think it was one or two days directly after their vehicle was found. That would play a little bit of a role in the search initially. They brought in tracker dogs. They brought in 300 police. They had drones. They had over a 1,000 volunteers, some of which were on horseback. And they also had ATVs. And they had all these people searching for eight to nine months. Now, this is some pretty tough terrain up here. All right. This is very tough terrain. And along with that, it stormed and rained like crazy. Uh, within 48 hours of their abandoned vehicle getting found. Now, the reason that's important, or maybe not important, is that the tracker dogs actually picked up on the Jameson scent. Now, remember, these are not cadaver dogs. These are trackers dogs, or tracker dogs. They were given the Jameson scent. Well, the scent led them to a nearby a water tower or a water tank. I've heard it said both ways. They are two very different things. So I'm not 100% sure on whether it was a tank or a tower. But as soon as it got to the tower, the scent was gone. So it was pretty much a dead end. 
they drained it. There was nothing found inside. So there was yet another dead end. So after eight or nine months of searching, um, they call it quits. This case pretty much goes cold for another four years until November 15th, 2013, when uh, three hunters find remains of two adults and one child laying face down, side by side, out in the middle of the woods, roughly 2.7 miles away from where their abandoned truck was found four years earlier. There was a small hole in the base of Bobby Jameson's skull, roughly the size of anywhere from a 22 caliber to a 9mm round. The police on the scene said that animals might have done it. Uh, the hunter that actually was one of the three that found the bodies disagreed. He said it was definitely a bullet wound and animals would not have done that. While we are on this subject, I will just go ahead and say this and keep this in mind too. The remains that they found were not complete. They were partial remains. Within a year, they had positively identified the bodies as the Jameson family. Now at this point in time, you would think that maybe this was a lead, maybe you know, we could get on with the investigation. That is very wrong because it ends up leaving us with more questions than answers. And from this, I suppose we ought to jump into the theories. <sighs> Here we go. I cannot wait to get this stuff out of my brain. Let's go ahead and start off with some of the dumber theories. Yes, there is a, I think it's like the 35th degree latitude line. That runs through a few countries, including Oklahoma. This line is supposedly, this line is supposedly uh, some kind of a cult line. I'm just going to tell you right now, I really didn't even bother researching this theory because it sounds really fucking stupid. There's supposedly all this stuff that happens on the on the latitude line, even though half the shit is not even on the line. Uh, I pretty much disregarded this as kind of ridiculous and kind of left it at that. And of course we have the Sasquatch theory. Nope, no I did not bother looking into that either because that's kind of stupid as well. Uh, the next ridiculous theory is aliens, alien abduction. Now this theory goes that that's why everything was left in the vehicle because aliens don't need it. And that's why the bodies were not initially found during this humongous nine-month search was because the bodies were being whatevered in outer space, all right? And the aliens gently laid them face down side by side in the middle of the dense forest, almost right where their truck was. Um, I pretty much disregarded this theory as pretty ridiculous. You know, I get into some interesting stuff, and I'm not sitting here going to say that we are alone in this universe because it's, uh, I don't know, I think that's pretty pretty ignorant to think we're the only ones out there. But, but no, I think that theory is totally ridiculous. So we will move on to the more serious theories. One of the more serious theories is that the family was actually on a hit list and hunted down and killed. This theory comes from a gentleman who had lived in the Jameson's house. He was a live-in handyman and uh, just did work around the house for whatever, you know, because people on disability can, can afford handymen living in the house. Now, Sherilyn had noted, she had previously said a few times, that she did not feel comfortable alone around this man. And yes, I do know the man's name. Um, I am not going to put that out there, though. He supposedly had gotten in an argument with Sherilyn one day. Uh, Sherilyn apparently had some Native American heritage. Well, the gentleman who lived at the house was supposedly a white supremacist. So after the argument ensued, Sherilyn supposedly gets a 22 caliber pistol, which she did own. It was her pistol. And remember, remember about that pistol. And she basically escorts him out the door. And from what I understand, she was popping rounds off at his feet. Whether that part is true, I do not know. Um, I have heard various reports on that. But it is definitely fact that she definitely used a 22 caliber pistol to escort him out of the house and off the property. Basically, this gentleman who was in the white supremacist group puts her and her family on a hit list. 
and while they are going out to do whatever in Red Oak, Oklahoma, over I think it's the uh, Sandboys, I'm pretty sure it's the Sandboys Mountains, um, the white supremacist group catches up with her and murders the entire family. I don't really know how I feel about this theory. For one, the gentleman who was the living handyman, actually, if he had orchestrated this, he had absolutely nothing to do with it because he was in jail at the time they disappeared. So, you can take that theory with a grain of salt. Yeah, it's, it's not unheard of. It's definitely not unheard of. But it just does not make sense. But moving on to some of the even more serious theories. And this one is actually not a bad one. It is said that Sherilyn practiced witchcraft. Her and her friend Nikki apparently were uh, intrigued in the black arts. And they had gifted each other's witches' bibles, which they displayed on their coffee tables in their living rooms from what I understand and it is also said that Sherilyn was exercising demons at some point in time I'm not a hundred percent sure personally I can take that either way you know that's that's whatever I do get into the occult it is an interest of mine because I'm just weird like that but her friend Nikki in all interviews claims that it was an ongoing joke between the two of them. My problem with her saying this is if me and you are two witches, okay, and you think that your friend is going to be killed because they are a witch, or you are going to have some bad mojo because you're not going along with with uh you know your partner in crime here so to speak you would probably the first thing you would say is oh we were just joking around it was nothing serious now there are two theories with this witchcraft thing though you got to remember this too the one theory is that the people in rural oklahoma over red oak had found out that she was a witch and had supposedly killed her because of this that's why i could I could see Nikki saying, oh, well, it was just an ongoing joke between us. We really didn't do anything serious. You know, any of that stuff like that. But on the contrary, I mean, besides, you know, the villagers, you know, with lit torches and pitchforks running the witch out of town and killing her whole family, that whole part of the theory, I really don't see that as believable. What I do find believable is that Bobby's mother actually did confirm that Sherilyn did have a very, very vast interest in witchcraft. She apparently was seeing demons and ghosts around the house uh, very frequently, and in all honesty, Bobby, the husband, actually reported the same thing. Bobby actually went to the trouble to go to his local pastor and ask him if there were special bullets that he could use to kill ghosts. Because he said that every time he was outside, he would see four to six spirits on the roof and or in the house. Uh, Sherilyn actually reported the same thing. The daughter, on the other hand, supposedly had a ghost friend and could talk to angels. How much of this I believe, I'm not 100% sure. Bobby's mother did confirm that she was definitely a pra definitely practiced witchcraft. Uh, to what extent, it was not specified. <clears throat> there are things in this world that we don't understand, people. And for those of you who have ever dabbled in any of this and or a Ouija board, you know, there's some pretty weird stuff going on out there. I don't find it so hard to believe she might have been dabbling in stuff that she did not understand to where maybe she did invite something bad into her home. And another another string onto this theory, though, before I'm, I'm a little scatterbrained right now, so I do apologize for that, but just try to stay with me. This whole witch theory basically goes to the extent where her friend Nikki and herself speaking of Sherilyn, did believe that they were witches, and the shipping container out in uh, by their lake lakefront property there um, actually had a bunch of graffiti on it. At one point in time, Sherilyn's cat had wound up dead. She believed that the neighbors killed her cat because she was a witch. Sherilyn, being an extreme eccentric that she is, 
decides to go graffiti the shipping container saying something to the effect of you know don't you know it's bad to kill witch's black cat that is very true there are pictures of this um she really did do this whether she was serious about it or whether she was just doing it so that people would leave her alone um is not known uh their nikki uh her friend actually said that that's why they would just kind of go along with it when people thought they were and they would talk about it openly was because Sherilyn just didn't want people bothering her at the same time, I really don't believe Nikki because I wouldn't want that kind of attention on me. So, basically the story goes that these spirits and, you know, whatever else might have been in the house, demons or whatever, had basically gotten to the point where Sherilyn and Bobby, who were both seeing the spirits, had to get out of the house as fast as they could. I have a few problems with this um one i can understand packing up your shit and getting out of dodge as fast as humanly possible but what i cannot understand is standing around forever reloading your vehicle with stuff you had already put in at once walking around like zombies not even talking to each other and taking your sweet ass time that does not make sense. Um, I actually grew up in a haunted house. You know, take that as as you will. I know some of you don't believe in ghosts out there, but I can I can tell you right now I do. You know, that is what it is. Um, personally, I do not like this theory. I like some aspects of it, but this theory does not hold very much ground because there's not very much evidence to support it. And as you all know, we work on evidence. So another popular theory, and this is a very popular one, is that Bobby Jameson's father, who actually shares the same name, well, we will refer to him as uh, Robert. Robert and Bobby did not get along. There was a lot of bad blood. Robert and his wife, who would be Bobby's mother, had gotten a divorce sometime earlier. Well, when they got divorced, Bobby's mother moved in with him for a time being. And if you're wondering, this is where the surveillance system came from. Apparently, Robert was so pissed at Bobby for various reasons, money being one of them. Apparently, there was a, a little dispute about $10,000 uh, and the fact that his ex-wife had moved in with his son he had actually threatened Bobby's life on a few occasions to the point where within a year before of them uh, disappearing he had actually filed two uh, protective orders against robert because robert had threatened to kill his entire family bobby's mother had a surveillance system set up at her home before she moved in with bobby uh, she set one up at bobby's house and when she moved out and got a new place she set one up there and she still let bobby keep the surveillance system at his house uh, because, in all honesty, they did fear for their lives. Now, some of you are like, "Well, who the hell is uh who the hell is their, his dad then?" His dad is supposedly not a very nice guy. Uh, he actually ended up passing away a few months after they uh, their abandoned vehicle was found. Um, it's suggested that he is not involved per se, like. He was not there. He was, from all reports I heard, he was actually in a nursing home when they disappeared, which raises the question, why were they still so worried about it? But it is said that the reason they were worried about it is because Robert actually has a lot of criminal connections. Um, there are rumors that Robert was a pretty big meth dealer and uh, what other, whatever else, various drugs, and that he had direct ties to the Mexican cartels. How much of this I believe, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how a rural gentleman from Oklahoma can rise up to the ranks of, you know, a major dealer, but you never know. There's been weirder shit that's happened. But basically, Robert was so pissed at his son and his ex-wife, and he had literally previously threatened to kill Bobby's whole family, it is said that he actually, from the nursing home, orchestrated a hit through the Mexican cartel on Bobby. 
The only problem I really see with this theory is, yeah, uh, Robert was in a nursing home, but it's not unheard of to pick up a phone and call somebody and orchestrate a murder. But here's the problem that I find with it. If they were going up the mountain on this road, going up the mountain on this road, now you got to remember their abandoned truck was found going down the mountain on this road. If somebody was following you, you would see it. And the pure coincidence of them just happening to be out there in the absolute middle of nowhere is unheard of. Now, granted, that would explain why the money was not taken. Uh, they either did not know it was there or did not care about it because they only had one job to do. But the pure coincidence of this happening, uh, I find very, very hard to believe. You would definitely notice another vehicle in this area. And uh, I just, I don't know, I find that theory just a little bit far-fetched. Now, granted... Um, from all reports, Bobby's father was not a very nice guy, but going to the extreme of killing his son, his son's wife, and his six-year-old granddaughter, um, I do not, I, I really don't see that. Whether he threatened him or not, everybody says stuff out of anger at the, in the heat of the moment, it happens. I do not see that as a possibility. Now, one of the major, major, major theories, and get ready for this one, is that they were drug dealers getting ready to go make a drug deal. Now, where this comes from is it was rumored around town that Bobby and Sherilyn were dealing methamphetamine. Um, by looking at them, yeah, I could see Bobby being on it. He's very, very lean. He's very thin. Um, he does not look that bad health-wise, but he does definitely look fairly thin. This would, this theory would also explain the cash. Both of these two people were on disability. They owned a $300,000 lake house that I believe they were getting ready to rent out. They had two timeshares in Mexico, and they had various timeshares around the U.S., but their house was also getting ready to get foreclosed on. Why they were going to try to rent it out, I don't know. That's just one thing that I heard out of, or read out of a lot of things that I read. This would also explain how they would be able to afford all this stuff. Um, they had $32,000 in cash tucked up underneath the seat of the truck. And there is also a report, and I only heard this from one source, literally one source, and it was a person. It wasn't even in an article. It wasn't in anything that I read. It was a person saying it on a thread was that the one thing that the cops did not find is a brown satchel that was packed in the truck. Now, this one person that I was telling you about actually said that there was an extra $30,000 in that satchel. And what they were doing was going to make a drug deal. Uh, he was taking half the money, which is, you know, whoever he might have met up with took half the money. Um, he had the other half tucked up under a seat in case the deal went bad or whatever. And uh, that he was just, his family was marched out three miles into the woods and then killed. Don't get me wrong, this theory is very, very good um, because it makes sense. Now, the reason it makes sense is because of the erratic behavior of them. I mean, they literally packed a bunch of random shit into their truck before they left. They were leaving for an hour-long drive to go quote-unquote, which is this is just what they told people, to go look at some property to buy, and then they were going to come back. They packed clothes they packed all kinds of stuff but the one thing that they packed that was never found was that brown satchel and we do not know what is in it there's also another part of the drug theory that there was uh drugs in that satchel as well now some people discount this theory because they say the actions of them loading their vehicle 
over and over and over again does not match being on methamphetamine because they are walking slow and they are zoned out and they are not quote-unquote tweaking. This is true to an extent. Right when you do it, you're tweaking your balls off. You're going 150 miles an hour. But let me tell you something. What might happen is after about two days of being up, you're going to be zoned out. You are going to be a walking zombie, all right? So that would explain, that would actually explain their behavior. And along with that is being up that long, you know, like a over, I believe, 36 hours or so, um, you will start hallucinating. Now, this could also explain the spirits that the couple were seeing. You know, all the witchcraft theory aside, this could explain their hallucinations, believing that their daughter talked to angels and that they were seeing spirits and being haunted and basically being scared to death out of their house. Um, this is a great, great theory. Although, no paraphernalia, no trace of drugs at all was found in their vehicle or in their home. That is a true statement. But, you gotta remember, from the time they left to the time investigators went to their home, it was about nine days. And if you have a child who is on some ship and you don't want to ruin their reputation and make yourself look bad, you would go clean out their house for them. There is a theory that uh, Bobby's mother actually went over and cleaned out the house of all kinds of drug paraphernalia or drugs before the police actually got over there. That is just a theory. So take that with a grain of salt just like any other theory. But it is definitely plausible. A lot of their friends and family say they are not on drugs. Well, you don't want your friends most of your friends and your family to know you're on drugs so you're probably not going to do them around them or you're going to act sober all right the townspeople on the other hand say that they were on meth and that they were doing it or that they were dealing it now this is actually like i said a very plausible theory because that'll explain a lot of the money meth is a very profitable uh, very, very profitable drug to sell and manufacture. Um, the profit margin is just freaking insane. Um, and this is rural Oklahoma, and there is a huge meth epidemic in rural Oklahoma. There is actually same thing up here in northern Indiana. It's pretty bad. So that theory right there actually does hold a lot of ground. To an extent, I suppose you could say, because Bobby was on prescription painkillers. Um, there were a lot of empty bottles found in his truck when uh, the police found the truck. So we do know that they were, I can't say they were abusing them, but they were, or he was definitely taking him. Sherilyn, on the other hand, was on antidepressants and uh, I believe one other medication for severe uh, bipolar disorder. Um, that could also explain their behavior walking back and forth to the truck. I think drugs is a more plausible theory, or not drugs in general, but I think meth is a more plausible theory when talking about that because that would explain both of them, seeing the spirits, seeing the hallucinations, and both of them acting zoned out and the child acting just fine because if one of them's fucked up on pills, it's hard telling if the other one is just going to coincidentally have the same effects, if you know what I'm getting to. So, you know, there's pretty much the drug theory right there, is that they went out there in the middle of nowhere, and, and they were going out there to meet another drug dealer, whether he was connected with Bobby's father or not, or anything of that nature. They went out there, they did a drug deal. Bobby only had half the cash. Him and his family were marched out into the middle of the woods, 2.7 miles away, and uh, and shot out there and killed. Don't get me wrong, uh, for the bodies there were no bullets recovered, but we're talking about very soft soil, all that good stuff, so you probably wouldn't find any bullets, but that would give half an explanation to the small hole at the base of Bobby Jameson's skull 
that would explain that right there. But other than that, I mean, there's no real footing on that. It's basically all hearsay. Um, why they went out in the middle of nowhere on that day, I don't think anybody will ever know. The other most popular theory, and our last one, is going to be a total mental break of Sherilyn Jameson. Sherilyn Jameson had a tough time. Her and Bobby were actually on the rocks. This would explain why they weren't talking to each other while they were loading the vehicle to leave that day. Um, this would also explain a 17-page letter that was written to Bobby by her that was found in the in the truck the day they disappeared. Basically, this letter said various things. Some of them you heard in the... Uh, this letter said various things about just, you know, how she's unhappy and how if she's never going to give her daughter to foster care uh, because she, you know, Bobby's going to be in prison for attempted murder and uh, she's going to be dead. Um, where that would come from is I, it's totally unconfirmed, but I heard that Bobby um, might have had a little bit of a temper. In all pictures and from everything that I've heard from their family, though, I really, really don't see this being true. Um, granted, there's a lot of things that happen behind the scenes that people do not know about, but why, if they were on the verge of a legal separation, would they get this shipping container and go to move out in the middle of nowhere with just themselves and their kid. You know, maybe they were trying to rekindle their relationship and patch things up. I don't know. Um, Sherilyn's friends actually say that uh, she used to just write things down to get it out of her, to uh, basically get that weight off her shoulders. I personally can relate to that. I, uh, I do the same exact thing. Uh, it just feels sometimes it just feels better to just get it all out whether it's on paper or whatnot and uh basically they were saying that's what this letter was it was just basically her emotions and feelings that she could not express to her husband um just put down on paper um and she was known as a little bit of an eccentric so that would definitely explain that that would also explain why her 22 caliber pistol was never found she did own this gun uh, this gun was not in the house and it was also not found with the bodies she more than likely did take it with her um, and the base basic part of this theory is that it was a murder suicide she had a total mental breakdown uh, and she led Bobby and her daughter out to the uh out to the middle of the woods and shot him in the back of the head and basically all those empty pill bottles that were found in the vehicle basically she took those out of the pill bottles put them in her pockets and her and her daughter then ate pills and laid down in line with bobby and uh she would have committed suicide along with feeding her uh, her daughter Madison or their daughter Madison um, pills. The only problem I have with this is the dog. Madison's best friend in the world was this dog named Maisie. Uh, as you recall from part one, Maisie was found uh, eight days after they disappeared uh, in the vehicle, uh, only kept alive by eating her own feces and drinking her own urine um the dog is alive and well and doing just fine for all you animal lovers out there but if you were going to do like a mercy killing or something of that nature you would think you would try to comfort your daughter as much as possible and take the dog along with you that is why i really don't support this theory and the fact that the gun was never found anywhere around the bodies. Now, granted, this is a highly dense forest, so it's not unheard of that she would shoot Bobby in the back of the head and then throw the gun as far as she could while her, while she's feeding her young daughter pills and eating them herself to uh, commit suicide. 
but I just, I really don't foresee that happening because there's no real reason, reason for her to throw the gun. I really don't. I mean, yeah, the empty pill bottles is weird, but they could have accumulated in her car over time. Um, that's really hard telling, but that is pretty much how that theory goes. And that would actually explain why, that would, that would actually explain, um, why all their belongings were left in the vehicle, along with GPS, wallet, keys, um, cell phones, and their coats. This is, um, October of, of, uh, you know, rural Oklahoma. It gets pretty chilly out there. It doesn't really explain the, uh, gun not being found. Um, that and the fact that Bobby suffered from extreme back pain, um, to the point where sometimes he couldn't even stand up for long periods of time, let alone walk two miles through very dense forest in rural Oklahoma, uh, through mountain ranges. That right there really does not make too much sense to me. Um, I could be wrong, but that is one of the main reasons I discount that theory. Because if she was going to do something like that, I really don't think they would march all the way out that far. That really doesn't make sense. The next theory is that they were out there to do this land deal. Um, and that basically they stumbled across something that they should not have seen this theory pretty much goes that they were out there um whether or not they were out there to make a land deal or whether they were out there to make a land deal uh still remains unknown but let's just say they go out there um they give the guy half the cash the guy kills them uh either that or they go out there and they stumble across say you know a huge meth lab out in the middle of the woods this I mean, yeah, there's not much to go on, but this does make sense. It makes sense because a killer would not want anything in the vehicle. The He wouldn't care because anything that he touches inside that vehicle is probably going to eventually be considered evidence. Uh, no fingerprints. He probably already might have had his fingerprints on file. The fact that he did not bother sifting through the wallets, he left the dog in the vehicle because dogs can't talk, you know what I mean? You would have to be a pretty rotten human being to kill a six-year-old girl, but a six-year-old girl can still identify you in a lineup if they saw you. Uh, I think they came across something that they should not have seen. Uh, I think they might have gone for a walk at some point in time just to get out of the vehicle. It's hard telling actually how long they might have been driving. I mean, they could have been killed that same day that they went out there. Nobody really knows. Now, the reason I think this holds a little bit of ground is, like I said, because, first of all, you wouldn't know $32,000 was going to be underneath the seat of a car. They could have stolen whatever they saw in that brown satchel because... The other shit's hidden. If I'm going to take anything, it's going to be what I know is there and what's easy to find. And that would be, if there was, an extra $30,000 in a brown satchel that was never recovered from what was seen being loaded into the vehicle. Um, another thing that could have been in there, though, too, is drugs. But, like I said, that's, you know, that's all opinion and hearsay. I've heard both. But I could honestly see that happening. I could see the killer um, finding Sherilyn's pistol, which would probably be in her purse or maybe in the side of the door or on her personally. I could see a, a grown man with back pain getting marched out into the middle of a dense forest to get killed by, you know, an armed assailant. Um, that would definitely explain the tracks the tracker dogs um tracking the scent of them to a water tank maybe he washed maybe he marched them to the water tank made them wash off whatever the case might have been maybe he after he killed them he actually washed off himself at the water tank um that would explain the 22 caliber gun that Sherilyn did have never being recovered and 
you would think it would have to be somebody from that area because they obviously know to put them in one of the densest parts of the forest. Now, some of you are probably thinking, well, that doesn't really explain why the bodies were not recovered until four years later because of the extensive search. Well, yes, it actually would because even though those officers and volunteers had uh, people on horseback, had ATVs, it stormed like crazy within 48 hours of that truck being found. This ground back here is so bad, it's hard enough to get you know anywhere when it's dry out let alone wet that could have actually hurt the search efforts quite a bit and this being a dense part of the forest they would literally only need to be buried in a shallow grave and you would probably not see anything and that would actually explain uh you know when the hunters found them they really didn't find the remains all the way above ground and actually like over time the dirt could have removed itself after another big storm or something of that nature but you know the killer could have you know not had time to remove the truck or just didn't care about it because he knew that those bodies were never going to be found or it was going to take a long time for them to be found but i will say this i'm 50 50 on whether it was somebody they might have met before because there were literally no signs of any kind of struggle around the dirt in the vehicle when it was found. Um, like I said, everything was left in the vehicle. When they left that vehicle, they either knew they were going to be back within 5 or 10 minutes, or they knew they were never coming back. It was one or the other. But with that being said, that very last theory was my personal one that is what i think happened um i'm pretty sure all of you guys are gonna have your own opinions on this and i i will be totally happy to hear them but with that being said i would like to thank all of you for listening and hanging in there for part two and uh sorry about the uh the, the part one teaser i had to do it but until the next episode i will see you guys on the flip side